Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, focused compounding on the number one value investing podcast in the world on air live with my co-founder, Jeffrey Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It is going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. Today is Tuesday, March 24th. Today was another actionable day in the market. The S&P 500 closed 9.38% today, Jeff. What do you think about that? Uh, that's a lot. Is this like a dead cat? Is this a de- dead cat bounce? Or are we going back to all time highs? Uh, like I said before, the biggest gains in the market usually happen in bear markets. So that is common. true. Yeah. We were very, very much oversold. So it'll be interesting to see going forward. You know what, Jeff, I'm just going to go on the record and say this. Okay. You don't follow the news, but have you been following the, this news a little bit? I mean, with Trump coming out and talking about everything and the coronavirus and then opening up the economy again and everything. I did see the press conference. Okay. All right. Well, I put that in our letter. Okay. I'm okay. going crazy here. You know how they say, there's a saying out there that goes, if you don't get the joke, maybe you're the joke. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I just don't get this joke because I swear, Jeffrey, yep. not even 24 hours ago, literally uh, maybe a little bit more than 24 hours ago, it was like, we're closing the economy down. You know, there's mm-hmm. hot spots. People are doing shelter in places. You know, the Fed's coming out with their, um, you know, they're going to enter uh, liquidity into the markets. The Congress is getting the uh, the stimulus bill passed. That's all still true. But it's like the overall tone of everything and the severity of it has just completely took a 180. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm like, am I reading something different than other people are reading? I just, I don't get it. Because it's like, it literally was a 180 from Trump and the administration and everything. And I get it, right? Part of me feels like they found out things could get really bad if the economy doesn't somehow run still. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I mean, because he tweeted out, we can't let, you know, the cure the cure be as bad or whatever. I, I butchered that. Yeah. But it's like his total mindset has changed on how we're going to handle, you know, the virus going forward. And if you look at the numbers in New York today... Mm-hmm. They're staggering. The exponential yeah. compounding growth is crazy. It's growing. If you look at the growth in Italy, it's growing like crazy. And I don't know. Like it's to me, it's scary, right? And I understand, you know, the death rate or whatever isn't as um, isn't as high here. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just it's definitely just scary to me. And take that all out of it. I just don't understand why the overall tone, everything has just changed literally like a light switch. And I was just confused by that. I was like, am I listening to the same guy that talked about this not even 24 hours ago? And then yesterday they had, uh, and I don't want to make this about politics. I I actually texted my dad yesterday. I was like, this whole episode with coronavirus has made me remember why I just stay as far (laughs) away from this game as possible because I'm like pulling my hair out over here. And I'm like, I'm much happier not following this, okay? Um, You know, the doctor, the doctor that's been out, you know, and following uh, at the briefings and stuff, he wasn't out there. (laughs) And they Mm -hmm. asked Trump, and they're like, where is he? Uh, Tony, whatever his last name is, Fauci, and he yeah. just looks. Yeah, yeah. He looks around and he's like, uh, "I don't know where. Where is Tony?" And they're like, "Um, he's at the 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 task force meeting right now." And then Trump's like, "Oh yeah, yeah. There's a task force meeting." I was like, "I think my seven year old sister lies better than he does." And I just, I'm, I was pulling my hair, Jeff. I just, I don't understand what's going on. The complete 180. If it's safe for people, then great. I'm a, I want that on America. I'm an American. I want what's best for everything, the economy, America, um, you know, people. But I just I don't get this sudden change. And it's got to make you think, like, is it, you know, is he personally getting, you know, destroyed? I mean, he's a real estate guy. How, how much is he levered? You know, I don't know. But it's just I I feel like I'm watching a different movie than I was a couple of days ago. And then I just see numbers in New York go up. I see Italy continue to go up. And I see the exponential growth of the virus in the world continue to rise. And it's scary to me. Um, you know, so it's interesting. But no, I mean, I kind of went on a little tangent there. Market closed almost, uh, looks like 9.38% today. A lot of stocks had a, a pretty decent, um, you know, rise today, obviously, to reflect that. We can go over... Um, 
follow me on Twitter. If you're not following me on Twitter, people on YouTube, this is my Twitter. Focus Compound. This is the best place to get everything that we do put out. Um, and then, of course, if you want to get access to the email that we're going to be referencing, go to focuscompounding.com on the homepage and join the Focus Compounding daily. Enter your email. It's for free. And you'll get a free topic from Jeff, uh, which comes with stuff from the day and then uh, an investment topic that Jeff... Um, puts in the email as well. But Jeff, I mean, I'm just, I'm so confused. Am I, am I wrong to be thinking this? I mean, has the no. total changed? Like, yeah, it, quickly? it has changed, but here's the thing. You're seeing the medical numbers, but you're not seeing the economic numbers. What's going to happen all around the world is that people are going to react to the pain that they're feeling immediately that they're seeing. So they're going to vacillate on and off, on and off between, I don't want everyone to die from a virus and I can't shut down my economy because it's getting bad. I mean, you're talking about the exponentially bad numbers in the virus, but other people are seeing exponentially bad numbers in the economy. Yeah, so that's what, that's what he's going on. It's the, I know there, there's a balance there, right? I get, I get that side of it. Is it, do you, do you roll the dice and open up the economy and it's not going to be as bad? Right, you know, as opposed to shutting everything down, and then you destroy the economy, and then, in Trump's words, people are depressed. At first, I I thought he was talking about like depression. He's like depression, and I'm thinking, oh, he's in like unemployment, depression, and he's literally like suicide rates. People are gonna kill themselves. I was like, oh, we're going that way. Okay, that's people, true. I guess. That, yeah, yeah, suicide rates will rise. We talked about yeah, this. Yeah, I get that. Of, yeah. of pornography, marijuana, alcohol, tobacco will increase. Suicide will increase. Yes. Um, it'll have major effects for young people to change their lives forever. If you know what you go through this kind of economic thing, uh, yeah. it'll put them on a trajectory that's very different in terms of what jobs they'll have, what incomes they'll have, whether they'll go to schools, whether they'll become criminals, all of that stuff will be greatly affected all around the world. Uh, and it lasts for a really long time. So, you know, there's a trade-off. I mean, I sat down and did some math on it and stuff and We'll see. It depends on what the death rates are and stuff. I just don't think it matters in the sense that even if you could explain logically to people which is the right choice yeah. um, based on the numbers, I don't think they'll make that choice. I think they'll switch back and forth from uh, when the virus looks bad uh, and you aren't getting economic numbers yet, you'll shut everything down. Then after you've been shut down for a while, you'll get terrible economic numbers and you'll realize you have to open some things up Then the virus will get worse again. Then you'll crack down again. And you'll go back and forth that way. Um, that would be my expectation. So, I mean, like I said, we haven't, we haven't seen any economic numbers in the United States from this. Mm -hmm. And once you see things like jobless numbers and stuff, you'll start to realize, you'll go, okay, well, in one week, we put several times more people out of work than we expect to die from this thing total. Then people will start saying, oh, I don't know if that happens for a few more weeks. Yeah, you have to think yeah, about that. Yeah. How many unemployed people? Is 15 unemployed people for every one death? Okay. And then how quickly does that come back? And you start making, you know, so people start doing the math of that sort of stuff. So I think people won't really do that math. I think people will just switch from which thing's scaring them more at the moment. So that's what I've always, I mean, talked about in terms of 2020 and 2021. This is also just the first wave. I would expect multiple waves of this. That's how epidemics work. So you'll get a wave now. You'll uh, probably, you know, three or more waves of this in each country. And um, the reactions may be different each time. There'll be sort of fatigue about it later. So in the fall or whatever, or next year or whatever it is, people may react differently because they know how bad things got when they shut things down before. They may not want to shut them down the same way next time. Yeah. I mean, again, look, I want what's best for America. I'm not saying shut down the economy. I'm not saying open up the economy. All I'm pointing out is that there's been a clear 180 degree turn on you know what to do and it's like i felt like yesterday or two days ago there was just fear by everyone in the markets and now it's like everything's okay it's like i'm looking out my window now you know it's the first sunny day in dallas in probably a week and a half and it's like you know it's all over and it's not all over and that's the thing and just i think that's the general it seems like anyways um that's the general you know uh you know, the way that they're just conveying everything. So I don't know. I was just very interesting. I thought that was very interesting. Um, right. So I, I mean, guess no, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, no one's the, – the issue is that whether it's politicians, media, whatever, they have to make things sound kind of palatable if they want people to follow through with them. So they can't, oh, say, yeah, of course. They can't say we're choosing between a million people dead or 30 million unemployed. 
But that may be the numbers they're looking at and thinking, oh, what should we do about this? I mean, those aren't unreasonable numbers, the both of those numbers I just said. Those are probably within the range of projections they've been told. Um, that deaths could be different by a million, depending on what you do. And unemployment could be different by 30 million, depending on what you do. Yeah. Um, you know, so they see those numbers and we don't see those numbers. Yeah. So that's why they react that way. After you come, if you come out of a briefing in which someone <laughs> just gave you those numbers, you might suddenly do a 180. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, um, some links that I put in the email today uh, that I thought was interesting. Uh, there is real optimism that Congress could reach a stimulus deal soon. Um, there was talks, of course, yesterday, I believe, was that it was going to happen by Friday. I'm sure we'll see that go through soon. Um, lots of things in there. I think they said it's over a thousand pages, Jeff. And I know the yes, TARP 1, uh, bill that they, like that. yeah, you know, the TARP bill that they passed was only like, what, three or four. So I think they, there's a lot they, of holdup. They don't read it anyway. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, no one can read what, that amount of time. One thing I thought was interesting was Wall Street cynic. He, uh, oh. this is Chanos for people that don't know. Oh. He, he tweeted this out from the bill. So this would be interesting. He says, don't think a lot of people are aware of this provision in the House bill. Assistance to individuals making over 75000 or 150000 joint would have to pay um, back the 1500 that they're going to send to everybody. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, we talked a little bit about this. I said one problem with it early on is that people would probably attach things to the bill to try to change it so that it wouldn't be paid out to everyone and be adjusted for income and stuff. That slows things down a ton. So what you'd want to do is send out checks to Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and stuff too, uh, and yourselves, your own congressman and stuff, um, and then pay it back later. Rather than trying to say we'll only pay it to people, people under fifty thousand will make this much. People under a hundred thousand will make this much back. You know, because that's complicated to send the payments out. So anything that slows it down is a problem for everyone. Do you so that, think that's that gonna, awesome. do you think that's going to stop though? People, I guess, being philanthropic and maybe giving it to somebody who, for example, needs the fifteen hundred dollars a little bit more than they do, because it's like you're going to have to pay that back. You know what I'm saying? Oh well, the ones the richer people aren't stimulative. So you're counting things in there that aren't really stimulative. If you give them money and tell them that it's a two-year no-interest loan or whatever, that's not really stimulating the economy. Um, it's only, and, but it doesn't matter anyway because the one payments the richest people are unlikely to get spent. So uh -huh. it's the payments to the poorest people that are more likely to get spent. Um, yeah. So it's just a way of getting it out to everyone right away. It's not meant for the payments to the richer people to come back. It's just that it's actually pretty hard for you to differentiate between people making a lot of money and a little money when you're trying to send out a check to everyone. It slows down the process for the entire economy. So it's a good move that they're making that way. It would have been a real problem if they tried to do all sorts of adjustments um, uh, because that would have just slowed it down. Yeah, got it. Uh, so Trump, he wants. He said today that he wants to reopen the economy by Easter, which I believe is what? Is that April 15th, I believe? 14th, 15th, sometime around it's there. Not, it's on a liturgical calendar, so it moves every year. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that I thought was interesting, because we've spoken a lot about Omnicom, right? Yeah. Um, was Twitter, they withdrew their forecasts um, as they, um, you know, the sign for online ads from the yeah. coronavirus deepens. And I thought that was interesting because we've spoken a lot about Omnicom, which is in, um, uh, you know, the marketing business. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. I mean, it's interesting to me because I think Twitter's probably the most active now <laughs> but it doesn't more matter. than it's ever been. Yeah, I know. Right. It's right. Like, it doesn't it's, matter. I mean, <laughs> newspapers and TV stations and stuff did poorly in the early 1970s. They had great audiences. I mean, some of them had record numbers of audiences in the 1970s. An advertiser-supported media outlet makes money off advertisers, not audience. So a huge amount of audience with no one wanting to run ads doesn't help you. If, you have, if your newspaper isn't full of ads, it doesn't matter that people keep buying it, really. If your TV station, if you, know, if you can't run expensive ads next to MASH, it doesn't matter that you know, 100 million people are watching MASH. So the same thing here with Twitter. It doesn't matter if um, they have a huge audience, if they don't have a lot of advertisers. I mean, um, the decline in advertising will be big. And the difference this time is that online and social, especially things that people use on their phone and stuff, are now a really, really big part of the overall ad market. So it's a cyclical business. And historically, people haven't invested in stocks like Facebook and Twitter and Google um, with the expectation that they're cyclical the same way that Omnicom Interpublic, Publicis, WPP, Dentsu are, but they're the cyclical in the same ways. There's still a little bit more growth left for the online ones, but they're such a big part that they're just cyclical. Like um, I think Google, for instance, is YouTube and Google. YouTube has enough growth in it still that it might mask some of the cyclicality, 
but the actual like Google unit of Google, the search engine is probably at a point where it's so mature worldwide that it's going to be as cyclical as the ad agencies. So now Google does things not to kind of break out that stuff in a way that's as helpful. So it could still be disguised, but yeah. Um, these are advertising companies. They're advertiser-supported media companies. They're not just tech companies. They, they, they're, not, they're not really tech companies. I mean, they get 90% or more of their revenue, of their profits, from at being advertiser-supported media. So they're in the same business as, you know, TV and newspapers and, and ad agencies. And this is, I mean, advertising does really, really badly in a recession, a depression, yeah. uh, anything. So it's extremely cyclical, and it's kind of a leading indicator that way. Um, last... I mean, you know, if it's the same as, say, 2008 or something, then certainly, you know, they're, they're big declines. So and, and then we'll see what else happens, but they're big declines. Uh, this one seems quicker that people have pulled it. I've actually noticed online a lack of sufficient advertising around some content. So uh, and, and online might also suffer from the problem that some of it is very um, immediate, trying to drive you to do things immediately. Like, for instance, um, I would expect pay-per-click just like gets crushed because that's different from brand advertising. And some companies, companies will try to cut everything, but the very first thing they'll cut is like the performance-based stuff, the stuff that's driving a transaction right now. So they'll really cut that stuff down. So if it's something where you click on it and they hope that you, you know, um, do something right now, that stuff will really decline. Sometimes some companies that have a lot of cash or in a strong position will continue to advertise their brand strongly, but they're going to pull stuff that has to do with trying to get you to make a sale to you right now. They're not going to try to make sales to you right now. Got it. Yeah, I just I thought that was uh, that was interesting. So uh, the question that somebody had written into you was, he, and we've actually hit a little bit on this the other day, uh, he was asking if he should buy a, diverse, uh, a diversified basket of distressed stocks since his multi-bagger winners will more than make up for the stocks that go to zero, right? So there's so many cheap companies out there. We kind of hit on this the other day, talking about just really buying these incredibly cheap companies, knowing that maybe some don't survive, but in theory, hopefully the ones that do um, make up for it. And you were talking about um, using leaps. And mm -hmm. we've actually gotten a few people that have asked us about leaps recently. Um, and understandably so, I get that. But maybe you could you know, just give your general thoughts on this and your response to him. Sure. So there's two parts to this. One, most people think using leaps now is a bad idea because they look at it as having a high price versus the stock price. So if you look premium. at premium. So yeah. So if you look at these very distressed stocks, what they see is, okay, I'd have to pay half the price to buy the option for uh, January 2022. I might have to pay half the price of Dave & Buster's stock. That's a bad deal. Now, there's two reasons why it's not a bad deal. One, the volatility, the way that it will work, means that it might not be a bad deal anyway. Because if the volatility is – if you used to pay, say, 20% for a stock, 20% uh, of a stock's value at that strike price to buy it, and now you're paying 60%, that sounds bad – but is the stock likely to be more than three times more volatile over that long period of time? And we could get into what I mean by that period of time. The possibility it will be more volatile over the very long term, I think, has increased more than the possibility it will be more volatile over the short term in the sense of how that works, how a random walk works that way. A leap is a very long-term option. So not for the overall market, but for specific stocks like airlines, cruise lines, uh, restaurants, hotels, things like that. This virus is likely to exist in some form throughout 2020 and 2021. It may be under control at times. It may not be at times. The stocks are heavily indebted in many cases or have a lot of leases and things, and they traded awfully close to zero. As a result, when you look at the volatility possible in any one year, remember that this is actually for more closer to two years, a little less than two years. Um, so the amount of volatility is really high. But secondly, and this is the bigger part, What's the point of using a leap? Most people think of the point of using a leap as I get more leverage from it. But the actual point that you could look at it as is I use less cash. Now, why would you want to use less cash? Well, that's the other part of it. If you're doing the calculation of how much it's worth to have that part that is cash you don't use, cash is an option on future lower stock prices. So cash becomes more valuable now than in the past. So the part of the stock price you don't pay by buying a leap allows you to save cash, in which case, if your leap expires worthless, you can use the cash to buy things. 
And um, I had another email where I get into that in great detail. But basically, if you had to pay 50% of a stock price, if you do the leap now and hold the other 50% of it in cash, so say you want to invest $1,000 in a stock, and instead you invest $500 in options in the stock and hold $500 in cash against it, meaning you never touch that $500 in cash. This seems weird to people, but there's a reason why you do it. If you hold the 500 in reserve as a reserve against the leap, and you can only use it once, you've, once the le- you're out of the leap in some form, that you've sold out of the leap or it's expired worthless, then you know that when you use the cash, it'll be at a very low price for stocks generally and very low for the stock that you're looking at. So basically, you're going to get a good return on one of the two parts, either the option you use now, if things work out now, or the cash you use later. The risk is using cash right now. So we can talk about this as an idea of buying a basket of stocks using cash, but I'm actually really hesitant to encourage people to use all of their cash to buy a distressed basket of stocks because you're not um, what I call temporally diversified. You're diversified across stocks, but you made all of your investments in March of 2020, which may mean that in January of 2022, which is when these leaps would uh, expire, the problem is that you don't have cash anymore. So the reason for using options is to avoid using all of your cash. So mm-hmm. I just discourage people from using all their cash. So we can talk about it in terms of the uh, stocks that he was interested in stuff. But I just want to caution people, I actually would not suggest this. I would strongly suggest not going 100% into stocks now, because although you're thinking I'm very diversified, what you're not diversified by is timing. And so if things keep going down, that's fine. They may eventually recover. But remember, you will have no cash to buy cheaper stocks in the future. That's the danger of using cash. It's not buying things. A lot of people think buying things now, the stock goes down. I feel a lot of pain with the stock going down. Who cares about that? The real danger is you used cash that you could have later used to buy even better things. And that's why I caution uh-huh. people against. Yeah. So let's get into uh-huh. the basket. Yeah, sure. You um you were going over which industries are distressed right now. Cruise lines, airlines, theme parks, uh, movie theaters, hotels, table service, restaurants, uh, and lots of other industries, you said, um, you know, to really look for um, companies that are in single-digit PEs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we can look, if you have it, on some of the quotes on those of what we're talking about in terms of how low the PEs are. So Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we can look like just let's use any example of a cruise. Yeah, we have some of these. So we can use a cruise line, for instance, right? So do we have cruise lines up there? Uh, yeah. yeah, let me just refresh. So we have uh, Carnival Corp, um, Royal Caribbean, and that's it right here. But you can I, see, I mean, <laughs> even in what? Yeah, I should also point out just to give some people an idea of what I meant about the volatility. So this, this, we, uh, these emails that we do are on a bit of a lag. I write the email and then it, later on it ends up being used because I'm often writing more than one email a day. So in some of these cases, these stocks have already exceeded the strike price that we talked about. So about the volatility, the volatility that some people were saying, oh, I don't know if it'll be that volatile in two years. It happened in a week. You know, yeah. so mm-hmm. um, so that did happen some with like cruise lines, it seems like, uh, you know, not that long ago, some of these were available at prices where you could have bought options on about the prices that they're at now are pretty close to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. OK, so like um, you want to give an example or anything? I mean, so we have uh, we have cruise lines at two to three times P.E. Yeah. You said tabletop restaurants. So, um, you know, Red Robin, Brinker International. Um, what else we got? Ja- or Texas Roadhouse, BJ's, Noodles mm-hmm. and Company, Darden Restaurants. Yeah. So uh, some of those are very cheap, not all of them, but I think that a lot of, you know, all these are things that are up a bunch. But yeah, so it can be things like Dave and Buster's, Brinker, Darden, um, Bloomin', uh, things like that. I mean, some of them look interesting to me as like, would I buy them and hold them for the longer term? Things like Cheesecake and Chewy's, if they recovered, are more stocks I would actually want to own. Some of these others aren't things I'd want to own, but as distressed stocks, you could buy them and hope that they might go up. The point being, if you buy them at, let's say, a P of under three, then the likelihood they'll recover to at least nine times their prior peak earnings is pretty possible within um, two years. And even uh, um, it's not guaranteed or anything, but it's very possible. So it's not wrong that you could actually do okay in a basket like this if between 50 and 70% of your positions uh, did not work out. So even if you were just successful in like a third to half of them or something, it's very possible that that would offset 
pro- if it was half and half, you'd probably make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you bought across these industries and half of them recovered, and I don't mean recovered a lot, I mean they got to like nine times earnings within two years, um, then you would do well in these things. And so it's possible as, uh, let's say you normally invest 20% in a stock or something like we do. Well, you could instead, you know, do 10 of these at 2% each. And you would hope that it pays off in a way where at least half of them work out. And then at least half of them work out over a couple of years, then you do okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm just talking about buying them as stocks, not as leaps. I'm just giving the example of two years. It could be longer than that. Um, So you could do that. And we talked about airlines. Um, airlines. I was going to say, what about like really beat down stocks? I mean, we've we've spoken a lot about KLX um, E, right, on this podcast. Looks yeah. like it's at ninety six cents. So There's, I don't even know what market cap that is. I mean, basically nothing. Or you could do airlines, right? I mean, what do you do? Do you do you go and look for these incredibly levered companies? I mean, because those are the ones that have gotten the most being down, right? I mean, what about Penn National Gaming? Um, yeah. This is a company that's been in the news lately. Uh, they purchased Barstool, yeah. and I think they their their uh, market cap was a billion. I don't know what it is now. Last time I looked, which was like last week, it was a billion, and then their enterprise value was twelve billion. So they have a ton of debt. Um, but you know, all so a it's a casino. They own casinos. They were closing down, and B uh, sports is not going on right now, right? And they wanted to make a push into sports betting. Um, you know, so the stock just got destroyed. Um, cruises of course mm-hmm. how would you structure that 20 stock basket like, okay what would you yeah. look for are you are you more concerned on the i mean are you concerned that the business isn't just going to go out of like seriously would you be focusing more as like a um a ben graham approach that no. like even though you're not going to find net nets right but you're just kind of doing like extreme distress investing that they're not going to go out of bankruptcy you'd be focusing incredibly on the balance sheet and if they're able to cover their debt how would you be thinking about that no i would just look at what they'd be worth in normal circumstances and then i would just divide it up by industry so i would so i don't care how many airlines there are i wouldn't put more than the same percentage in airlines as in restaurants and then i would just buy the leading ones in each one probably so um, as an example, cruise lines is easy. The industry is basically three companies. It's Carnival, Royal Caribbean, and Norwegian. So you could just put, let's say, 2% in each of those. That's 6%. All right. Then airlines. You can pick three airlines. Then you can pick three restaurants. Um, and you can do it that way. Uh, the, the ter- in terms of the payoff for you, the ones that make the most sense, why I wouldn't necessarily suggest KLXE or something, is that the companies that are likely to return to one day being valued at very high multiples are probably the ones that make sense. So for instance, there's a, the, the restaurants are very, very attractive. Theme parks are very, very attractive because if they survive, their multiples will go from them being um, low PEs. Now, not, not all of these are that low and some of these have recovered a little, but as an example, let, let's just go to um, look at Denny's. Denny's at three times earnings. Right. So, um, if we look at, let's see. Um, Three times last year's earnings. I yeah. Uh, you know, you have Bloom and Brands, which is Outback and all those. You have Dart. Darden isn't that cheap anymore, I guess. Um, but you have several that are very cheap. And uh, some of these were cheaper at the time, too. Uh, Dave & Buster's is very cheap. Uh, so those sorts of things will recover to, I mean, they'll recover to high prices. So they'll recover to... If you buy it at less than three times earnings, they'll recover to say three to five times. They'll return three to five times your money eventually in them because they're uh, they'll get to nine to fifteen times earnings, um, a prior peak earnings eventually. Now it depends on how long that prior peak is. Uh, they're a little different than like gaming and stuff. <laughs> Casinos are not as safe a business as like a national chain. A national chain like uh, a national restaurant chain is a lot safer. Um, so, but it doesn't mean it's safe now. It could, all these companies could go under now, but I just mean in the future, it's long-term potential is very safe. So if it survives situations like this, it's safer. Um, the same thing would be true on, uh, things like theme parks and stuff. A lot of these things aren't as cheap as you'd think. Some of them are shockingly not that cheap. Like, you know, um, Vail and stuff isn't as cheap as it should be. It has a ton of debt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, if we, even if we look at things like, uh, Six Flags, SeaWorld, Cedar Fair, they've gotten cheaper by a lot, obviously, but uh, they've recovered a bit. And they're, 
I, I don't know. The, the ones that stood out to me in particular as being incredibly cheap seem to be a few restaurants and a few, and of course the cruise lines. Um, restaurants in particular would look pretty interesting. I would say the, the entertainment things maybe would make a lot of sense. So theme parks, uh, any going out stocks. So theme parks, restaurants, um, cruises, things like that. Hotels and stuff have exposure to business things and stuff. I, I don't know about that kind of thing. I would think one of the best things would be restaurants. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I'm surprised by how many aren't as cheap as you might think, which may be a, that the market has never believed that things will be shut down as long as they've been told by governments that yeah. they will be shut down. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Now, I mean, but do you think society is going to think differently about, or do you think they'll be reluctant to go to a restaurant right away because the virus, you know, obviously can stay on surfaces and, and all that sort of stuff? Yes. I mean, like, do you, do you think these restaurants are going to get back to, you know, peak revenue in a year or, or two years? Oh, well, first of all, they won't. Anyway. I, I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of people that are going to be reluctant to go back out. Even if the economy opens, you have lunatics like me that's like, wait, what's going on right now? I'm not going to go. I see these numbers continuing to rise and I don't trust what's going on or, or whatever. I, I know I'm not the only one that thinks that way. Yeah. Um, oh, we didn't mention movie theaters, but movie theaters also are very cheap. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, there's two things. One, they will all be badly hurt by any sort of recession. So that hurts restaurants already. Two, yes, fewer people will go out um, in some cases because of concerns about this. But we also have to think realistically, um, which I've been, you know, we have to think realistically about what exponential growth means. And it means in many places that a large percentage of your population will have the virus by a certain point in time. So I don't know how worried people will be about that once a large part of the population has it in the sense that it's unavoidable. So there'll be many places where if you open things up and stuff, it just becomes unavoidable that you have a good likelihood in 2020 or 2021 of eventually um, getting the virus. And it really doesn't matter what you do. That's likely. Um, that will, I don't want to say it's likely for any individual person, but if we take a group of people, it's likely. Um, so it's now is the phase in which people can think, oh, it's a small part of the overall population, but growing very fast. But once it becomes a big part of the population, then it becomes a question of whether you go to these places and stuff. Do you, are you still concerned about it? Mm -hmm. Um, maybe, maybe you will be, but realistically it becomes difficult to not get the virus no matter what you choose to do in your life unless you choose to <laughs> stay completely closed off from anything i'm in uh, my bunk i'm in my bunker right now 10 feet under the ground yeah but in two months <laughs> you know i mean we talked about this it's funny if you don't laugh at it you know <laughs> we we talked about and this before. Fake left, thank you uh, we talked about this before where like long before we talked about coronavirus on the podcast we talked about things like the Berkshire meeting and stuff and whatever. And I was saying that it's likely that by such and such a date, there'll be a thousand times more cases, you know? Yeah. <laughs> People aren't thinking in terms of the projection of how far out it is that certain areas are likely to have that many more cases if you're growing exponentially um, compared to where they're at now. If you do a complete shutdown and maintain it, then it's different. But if you go back to work, um, you know, it depends on the country. If the whole country goes back to work, it won't be on the same trajectory. But if New York City completely goes back to work uh, and go, is told to do everything normally, it will quickly cover a meaningful part of the population to the point where people just have to accept that whatever they do, they're likely to get the virus at some point in one of these waves. You know, uh-huh. and so it's just a question of what people will do with that information. Um you know, I don't know. It, it's very hard to tell because it has to do with like how people react very emotionally to these things. So like things like what the media and government and stuff is telling them, if they start telling them uh, different things about it's OK that, you know, you're, um, you know, early on, they're telling people, you know, because they don't want to spread that they want to really discourage people from thinking they'll be fine if they get it. But in the future, they may change their tone to, you know, there's a good chance you'll get it, but most of you will be fine. 
Uh-huh. And that sure. might be the message that comes out, you know, mm-hmm. it, it depends. Uh, so I don't know. I have no idea. It's very hard to predict these things. It's the same thing I was saying with like airlines. What will government policy be here? I don't know. My best guess is that governments will alternate turning on and off their economies, that they'll freak out when uh, viruses in a particular place, uh, cases spread too fast. And then they'll freak out when their economy, uh, they get the numbers of their economy is collapsed, you know? Mm-hmm. So New York City or something will freak out when they're, the virus is spreading rapidly, but then they'll freak out when they can't um, access um, uh, markets to fund themselves, the city and stuff, you know? When, they're, yeah. when they start saying, well, our, we aren't going to be able to fund our public transportation and do this and that. And so when those things come in, they'll say, oh, we have to, you know, figure out ways to do the other thing. And then as you loosen up, They'll be back and forth that way. That would be my best guess of what happens. We've talked about this before. I was really surprised at how slowly places took initial sort of lighter measures that maybe could be kept in place for a long time and really shocked at how they clamped down on hard measures that I don't think are sustainable. So like I was surprised. I expected most places to adopt like curfews, for instance, which are pretty easy to sustain. No one goes out during the night and stuff that kills all nightlife and everything. Not a lot of countries did that on a sustained basis. They immediately went to don't do things during the day, too. Um, so, I mean, there, for most of these places, there wasn't that much of a time between no bars and gyms and stay in place. Those are two very different things about how easy it is to sustain. A country can get by just fine with no bars and gyms for a couple of years. It can't stay in place for more than, you know, a matter of weeks or months. Uh-huh. So that's the problem that they'll have. And I don't know how they'll respond. It's, it's, so it's a complex thing. Whenever we predict these things about the economy, I can tell you how much I'd expect the economy to decline. We can expect how many deaths you'd expect if people did nothing about the virus, but they'll both do something about the virus and do something about the economy. They'll try to stimulate the economy. They'll try to crack down on the virus. So any projections that I have have to incorporate, you know, government responses. And I think they'll be kind of erratic. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's definitely an interesting take. So before we get into our next segment, I did want to go over uh, Dave Portnoy, Barstool, yeah. uh, his mm-hmm. founder. I did think it was funny. So he is um, so gambling, sports betting is currently down, obviously, because sports is down. Mm-hmm. So he is taking it to to become a day trader. Okay. And I just thought it was funny. He <laughs> he calls it the DNP 500 because his name is Dave Portnoy. And yesterday he was live streaming it, and I saw on Twitter. So he's trading a four million dollar account, Jeff, and he okay. had delayed quotes on. So he's he's day trading, and he uh, has delayed quotes on. He didn't even realize it. Like he's he's like laughing. I mean, he it's. Like part satire, part big serious, part holy cow, he's actually trading a four million dollar account with delayed quotes. But it's just like funny. And I mean, if anyone that is a fan of Barstool, they would they would probably enjoy that. But I thought that was absolutely hilarious. And he had Kramer on today. And um Kramer was giving him some stock picks. So I thought that was interesting for anyone that follows Barstool. Uh, I thought that was funny. Okay. Last segment that we're going to talk about. Let's talk about some stocks. So I actually had uh, like Cheesecake Factory, Dave and Buster's. Um, what else we got here? McDonald's Corp, Starbucks. Uh, but we, you know, just hit on Dave and Buster's and we hit on Cheesecake Factory. Uh, but I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, what you think about other companies like Charter Communications or really uh, QSRs, McDonald's and Starbucks, these companies that may still be open in certain areas in the world, uh, but they're just taking certain measures to social distance, right? So maybe it's just having the drive-through open. Yes, in some cases, but in others, it's not. Starbucks, for example, it's not. You have to, at the current level that it is in the country, uh, in the United States, at least in some countries, the employees will complain and they'll shut down the whole company. So even drive-through and stuff at some cases is going to be gone for some of these companies because the employees just won't want to go. And so they'll give in to that. You know, they'll just say, well, that's it's not safe. And so we won't do that. We can't have that situation in customer service business. So, I mean, Starbucks can't really function if their employees basically are willing to go on strike or something to avoid being in this situation. You know, they have to have positive employees. It's not Walmart. You know, you can't just force them to do this. Yeah. Um, so... Wait, what? What do you mean? It's not Walmart. What? What does that mean? Well, <laughs> you're taking. Are you taking digs at Walmart? <laughs> I was at a Walmart once at about four in the morning. Okay. And I had. Uh, but that I had, tells me all I need to know. But okay, <laughs> go on. And I had uh, my arms full of stuff. Uh, you know, uh, walking towards the checkout, 
And the, uh, the, the person there just shouted, oh, no, none of our stuff works. And walked away. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, the, yeah. At, whereas at Starbucks. You know, you know you want to know what my dig with Walmart is? I don't is mind that, Walmart. I'm just saying the employees. No, I do. Customers. I do. And this is what it is, right? Sam Wall wrote an incredible book, right? If Trump was talking about it, he would say it's a tremendous book mm-hmm. called Made in America. And they yeah. don't even sell it at Walmart. This book sells for like $7 on, on Amazon yeah. and it, it by the founder of Walmart. And they don't even sell it at the store. Can you believe that? Yeah. I, know. I would be so disappointed. I would be rolling over my grade, a grave. I would be haunting people. That is just absurd to me. Okay, continue on with Starbucks. Sorry, I, just, I, I took my. I'm a workout after this. So I took some pre workouts. So I'm a little bit more ramped up. I'm getting stir crazy, Jeff. We need to record yeah. next to each other. This needs to pass. Okay, go ahead. What What about Starbucks? <laughs> yeah, so Starbucks. Just, I mean, you need the the people to. I mean, the big part of it is the customer service. Look, it's just coffee if it's not the customer service. And so, you know, certain companies, Starbucks, Chick Fil A, things like that, have problems. I, I could compare Chick Fil A to McDonald's. Can McDonald's, you know, um, force its employees to work longer than Chick-fil-A? Maybe because it, it's not a selling point of McDonald's that their customer service. Um, so their companies where it will be a problem. And Starbucks is definitely one of those companies. It would be very hard for them to keep the same atmosphere that they'd want, even in drive-thru and stuff, if they had employees who don't want to be there. And I could totally understand why employees wouldn't want to be there, given what they're hearing about a coronavirus and how likely it is to spread at places like a Starbucks. Uh-huh. So... Uh, so I just mean in the short term, lots of things will, you have to be prepared for any company that you have that you think is doing delivery and takeout and, uh, whatever curbside stuff. And it should just completely shut down. You have to be prepared for that. But in the long run, would I be excited by Starbucks? Yes. It's the kind of company that I would love to own. So yeah, yeah. You've always, I'd be excited by Domino's pizza. And I don't say that because I like Starbucks uh, products. I do have it like Starbucks products. I dislike Domino's products, but I uh, do like it as a, as a business. Is it crazy? So, of course, I'm cherry picking this. It looks like it, they hit a high of back in July of 99.72, and then they closed today at 64.88. So we're down, what's that math, Jeff? About a third. And the stock still trades at, what, 20 times earnings? And still trades at what it was doing how long ago? Uh, a year and a half ago? Where How far back has it been? Uh, on a consistent basis, it's cheaper. If you well, no, given where it is today and stuff, I'm trying to find when it was. No, nah, yeah, this is uh, not that cheap compared to what it was. But Starbucks did have a bit of a turnaround thing we don't want to get into right now. But the stock, for whatever reason, got cheap. I thought it looked cheap, didn't buy it. So yeah. uh, if we look back just a couple years, it did look cheap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely, fans of the company. That's where we host our morning meetings. Jeff, Venti Flat White, that's his favorite drink for everybody that is interested. What about McDonald's? Uh, so yeah, so McDonald's is another one that's very interesting. These aren't that cheap. Um, so I do want to caution a little bit. They're not that cheap. However, Starbucks and McDonald's are pretty habitual businesses. They're pretty low ticket item businesses. So there is a lot of excitement that way about what it would do in a recovery. You have to remember that like, if we look at like say Chewy's versus cheesecake, I think cheesecakes average ticket is probably 50% or more higher than Chewy's. So in a recession type situation, you do have to be a little careful. That's something like cheesecake. I don't know that people want to spend that much money there. Whereas someplace that's a cheap Mexican place, people might want to spend more when they go back. There's two parts happening here. There's the initial part now, but then there's also going to be the economic recession in restaurants too. So there's both parts to it. Restaurants are very badly hurt in recessions. So um, both of these are happening. I think McDonald's and Starbucks and Domino's and things like that aren't hurt that badly in recession. Duncan um, brands, things like that, aren't hurt that badly in recession. But do I think that like steakhouses and stuff can be hurt pretty badly in a recession? Yeah. Uh-huh. Just because of the price and stuff. Yeah. I don't think people are going to want to spend $30 on a meal normally in a, a recession. They drop off quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Let's go over the stocks that have, um, you know, have gone crazy. Um, yeah. because of, so it's funny. So there's zoom, zoom technologies, and then there's zoom video communications. One is the real one. And then the other one just benefited from the name. So zoom okay. video communications. Um, this is the video conferencing software. Obviously a lot of people are working from home. A lot of people are students particularly are, you know, having classes online. I think, uh, I read, was it this Sunday, 800,000 people downloaded the app zoom in a day. Yeah. Um, so the stock has obviously gone, you know, quite parabolic. Um, what else we got? Uh, let's see. So not only zoom, there is, um, DocuSign. I wonder what this stock has done. 
you know, all these stocks that I guess are, are benefiting potentially from, um, you know, people working from home. But I mean, for Zoom, for example, I mean, how much of that do you think will be sticky going forward? I don't know how much will be sticky. I know a lot of people use it. Um, I got lots of emails about it. My big tip for people, though, would be don't buy these things now, not because of whether it will be sticky or not, but because what's happening is that they're not going up just because people are excited about their prospects. They're going up because people are intentionally selling out of things they think will be hurt right now and buying ones that will be benefit from this. So this is the same warning I would have. People just buy them because they're going up, right? They're Uh, going up because people, you know what I'm saying? I mean, like people just see it as, I don't want to say a flight to quality, Yes, but yeah, yeah, to your point. Exactly that, yeah. It's as if they were saying, it's as if, say, you were expecting, you're seeing deflation or something. You go, okay, well, I'm going to buy lots of... uh, um, uh, things that benefit, that that uh, I'm going to sell out of commodities and things, and then when I see inflation, I'm going to buy into commodities and things. It's a way of putting part of their portfolio of trying to. They see it as a safe place to put it, or whatever you want to say, a counter to the virus place to put it. I would be cautious about that same way as I would if you ever see days where Costco and Clorox and uh, yeah, Hostess awesome. and stuff yeah. go up. There, I mean, yes, they will benefit, but these things will benefit temporarily from this. Um, so, I mean, we could, this will change people's habits. So I mentioned, you know, yes, increases, I'm sure that you'll see increases in pornography, marijuana, alcohol, and tobacco consumption. I'm sure you will see decreases in health food and fresh foods and increases in unhealthy foods, canned foods, uh, foods like that. So there's, you know, there's lots of reasons why that will happen. You'll probably see hits to things that have to do with getting healthier and stuff and benefits to things that are um, health being a negative, uh, being the reason why some people avoid them. So things that are seen as unhealthy will probably benefit during this and things that are seen as healthy will suffer, right? That's just how people's habits are going to change in a situation like this. Um, You know, if we were in a long-term depression or something, those habits would stay changed. But in the short term, I think that these stocks respond more uh, to that. I have seen some interesting things in alcohol and tobacco and stuff where they dropped. Um, which is interesting. Some of the alcohol, of course, drops because it's sold in bars and stuff. Uh-huh. But for the longer term, some of that's interesting. We mentioned Turning Point brands before and stuff like that. So um, this is uh, Anheuser Busch. Yeah, well, their so problem, of course, destroyed. is a lot of debt, and you're selling stuff on premises. You know, you're selling stuff at bars. So that's hard for any of these. You know, it's the same thing as like a, um, you know, a, say a movie company or something. Uh, a very big part of your business to make eventual money on a movie is through releasing it in theaters and you won't get that back ever. That never comes back. So that's a permanent loss. So just like if you had a movie plan for this year and you released it, well, not only does it not do well in theaters, but then it gets overlooked because the public, the, the theater is basically the ad for it long-term. So it'll always kind of be a forgotten movie and stuff when this happens, it's happened to movies before that are released right at the time of some war, September 11th or something, they get overlooked or released at the same time as another big movie. Um, so you, per, the permanent value of something you invested $300 million in or something is, is degraded by it. Uh, so the beer companies and stuff, that won't change. The things that have to be sold at bars, you know, that goes away. People will drink more at home uh, and value type things and stuff. So when we talk about Turning Point Brands, you know, Turning Point Brands is zigzag rolling paper and Stoker's. Um, which is sold in these big tubs and stuff. Chewing generally. tobacco. Yeah. yeah, that kind of stuff benefits a lot from this, just as the um, cheapest beers that aren't sold a lot in bars would benefit, whereas a lot of beers get a meaningful amount of their sales through bars, especially in terms of the margins and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I guess you know the biggest takeaway from today's podcast is to uh, you know really think about uh, structuring. I mean, it could be a good time to structure a... Uh, a position where let's say you're going to dedicate 5%, 10%, whatever that number is of your portfolio, and then structure like a distressed per, uh, uh, portion where you know maybe some of the companies aren't going to you know do well, but then hopefully the other ones uh, more than make up for it. And a good place to look for those is cruise lines, airlines, um, theme parks, movie theaters, hotels, and you know restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that would be interesting. I mean, do you think that's kind of like? The Japanese net nets for you. I mean, you're not going to probably find net nets in in these industries. So I don't know if that's necessarily the exact uh, same. But was that I, generally I, your your thinking? I think it's closer when you compare it to venture capital stuff. I'd be very careful about doing this. If you do this, you need to really like write yourself up a little report on what you're doing. Have an Excel sheet and divide it up among the industries and what it is all as one position. I wouldn't compare it to Japanese net nets because here's the thing: every single Japanese net net I invested in worked out worked out big. 
net nets are perceived to be risky, but are not risky at all. Um, they really work out really well. Uh, people do them as baskets, but they just generally work out really well. These are all super risky. <laughs> uh, net nets are much safer than cruise lines, airlines, theme parks, movie theaters, hotels, et cetera, right now. Um, so, and there are a couple net nets now that I can see in the U S and maybe we'll talk about that one day, but, um, these are much more like investing in startup companies. Some of these will pay out three to five times. They will go up three to five times where they uh, are now, but some of them will pretty much go broke or at least will be diluted down to nothing or whatever. I have no idea if any cruise line or airline will survive. We don't know. They might all survive. They might all get bailed out. They might all have their equity um, basically wiped out through dilution. So that's entire industries that could go away and they'd be part of your portfolio. So I would diversify first by industry. Don't put more, any more in one industry than you would in any other industry. And then secondly, diversify a little bit within the industries too. So if you do 20% or something, say you have five industries, um, make sure you don't put more than 4% in any one industry. Don't think that buying seven airlines is diversification. Uh, buying the same amount of airlines, restaurants, hotels, cruise lines, theme parks, all that stuff in buckets that are the same size is diversification. Because mm-hmm. airlines uh, all face the exact same. Yeah, no, definitely. Did you see that Copart? I'm sure you didn't, but we talked about Copart the other day. It was up 17% today. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Pretty incredible moves. And you know, like you said, you get these... I mean, that's not a normal market, right? Obviously, up 10% or whatever. So it'll be interesting. I mean, as you said, and as it's happened in the past, you get the biggest, you know, rip your face off rallies um, in bear markets. And why is that? It's because shorts get, you know, caught and then they uh, uh, liquidate their positions. They cover the positions and that just pushes the markets up. So you could get uh, these pretty amazing moves. Yeah. And people's, uh, and people see the opportunities as scarce. So when something gets marked down by a huge amount, people think, oh, now is my chance to buy. Whereas what tends to happen is once you get used to being at a low level for a while, that scarcity wears off. So uh, after you spent a m- months or years at levels that look low, they no longer look low to people. These levels look really low to people because they're so low compared to where we were. This is the fastest ever. So this is the one that seems the most you must buy now ever in history. But when you go back and compare it to past years and things, you realize, oh, this is, I really want to buy stuff now because I haven't had a chance to buy anything cheap for a couple of years. So it's the suddenness of this. Things were very cheap at other times in the US in the 1930s, 1970s, whatever, but they often <laughs> stayed cheap for a little while and people forgot. After a stock stays cheap for three years, you say you have single digit PE for three years and you start to think a single digit PE is appropriate, you know? You start mm-hmm. to think that the PEs here at 20, 30 times earnings for everything is appropriate because that's where they were for a few years. And now it's dropped so fast. So it's like a sale. That's what it feels like to people. It feels like suddenly there's a closeout sale. You know, mm-hmm. that's a cycle. No, I think that I think that's a good way to put it. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in to the Focus Compounding Podcast with Mr. Jeff Gannon and myself. My name is Andrew Kuhn. His name is Jeff Gannon. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, thumbs this video up. If you're listening on the podcast side of things and you want to support us, uh, a rating and review goes a very long way. I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the two of us here today, and we will see you in tomorrow's podcast.